1 verse 18 is where we're at today. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of man, of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Okay, um, one of the things about Romans 1, there's been times where I've read it, and uh, I get to this verse here in particular and it comes back to mind, is if you read Romans 1, and I'm talking about you could be a completely depraved person, if you read it with an open mind, if you're willing to say, I'm just going to read this for what he's describing of the people of the world, I'm telling you, this, there is such perfection in Romans chapter 1 that when I read it, I almost feel like it's almost like spooky, like it looks right into your own heart. And, you know, because we're all susceptible to these things. I mean, anybody that says they're not susceptible to thoughts and to even actions, they're a lot better person than me, I can tell you that. Because, uh, But anyway, I, I get to verse 18 in particular, and it's, it is just like looking into the heart of all of the people around the world. And are we going to follow this path, or are we going to follow that path? But um, uh, I'll read the uh, New King James Version. You read the, that's NIV, right? That you just yes. read? Okay. Um, this one, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Um, so let's see here. I'll give you my thoughts on this. Paul now introduces the wrath of God, something that most people simply do not want to talk about. Um, I'm going to pull this chair just a little bit forward because I think I'm back further than normal and I don't want to uh, have it out of focus. I have no idea if it was or not. But anyway... Um, most people don't want to talk about the wrath of God. I, you know, you go to churches and they want to give you easy sermons. They want to tell you how everything is going to be fine. You mention the wrath of God, and uh, I, I, somebody in my family who I love dearly, who died many years ago, um, would always talk about the wrathful God of the Old Testament and the loving God of the New Testament, and that is way, way misunderstanding Scripture because it is the same God in both testaments, and when He gets angry. It is because of our sin, and that's found all the way throughout the Bible. And I tell people when they say something like this, you know, they'll dismiss Paul. You all know that. People will say, ah, I'm going to dismiss Paul. But you tell them, just read the book of Revelation. And if you can't see God's wrath all over that, if you can't see it, you're, you're, you, you've probably never read the Bible. You know, it just is so evident. But Romans one eighteen, the wrath of God... Um, he introduces the wrath of God. The word wrath is from the word orge. Okay, what does that sound like? Orgasm. Well, orgy, right? Just think of a, a tumult of, of activity, all right? Um, it comes from the word orge, which in turns from orago. This word means to team or to swell. Hence, this isn't just a rash or a sudden breaking out of wrath, but God's measured and righteous indignation at the state of man, which Paul will describe in detail. He's going to go all the way through one precept at a time and he's going to uh, uh, he, he's just going to give us how this comes about. What one thing leads to another. However, before going forward, one needs to look back. The connector for tells us that Paul is basing his statement on what he had just said. Okay? In verse 16 he spoke of the gospel message. Hang on one second here. Let me get back there. And uh, we get 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Okay, so he gives you the uh, gospel message. That's the good news for the people of the world. And then we go on. Um, where was I? In verse 17, oh, I'm sorry, verse 16, you spoke of the gospel message, which is God's means of salvation, and that is based on belief. Okay, we demonstrate faith, we believe, 
the gospel applies to us. All right? In verse 17, he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. He says, uh, From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. All right? In other words, the gospel which necessitated the torturous death of the Lord Jesus reveals the righteousness of God. Now, we think of the wrath of God, and we think, well, that applies to all the people that are out there doing these things. It applies to that right there. It applies to the cross. That is what necessitated Christ's death, was his anger at our sin. You know, we may not be great sinners. We might be great sinners. It doesn't really matter. One sinner necessitated that because Adam sinned, and in Adam all sinned. And so just one sin, when was the promise made for the Redeemer to come? Genesis 3.15. Right, Genesis 3.15. Right at the very, very beginning, one sin had been committed. And then, of course, some kicking around the blame and all that afterwards. But it was one sin that caused fall. And at that time, God says, I'm going to send a redeemer. He shall crush uh, the serpent's head, and uh, he will crush his, uh, he will uh, hurt his heel, and he will crush his head. I misquoted that. Anyway, but that one sin necessitated the wrath of God. Now think of it. Think of it, that thing that's going on out in the, what, the Nevada desert right now. Is it Nevada? The Burning Man? Oh, yeah. Every year they do that? Right. It's, it's insane. It's, it, they have, you know, orgies and it's everything. And this is what is going on in Paul's writings, you know, starting with uh, verse 18 and going all the way through describing the depravity of man. We go from one deed of wickedness to another to another. It just gets worse and it gets worse and we see it in the world. You know, 40 years ago, they were saying, well, we, we don't want the Bible read in school anymore. And then 30 years ago, or maybe it's been more than that, but you, anyway, you understand we had the 60s and the sexual revolution, and then and everything just keeps moving along little by little, and we get to the 80s, and it gets a little worse in the 90s and the 2000s. And it's just like reading Genesis 6, where the world is just devolving into complete wickedness. And... We have to remember that is something that is systematic. It is producing the wrath of God. But one sin is what necessitated Christ's coming. So keep thinking of that. Um, uh, where was I? So um, uh, Jesus' death was not an isolated event, which only applies to a group known as Christians and no one else. It resulted because of who God is, his very nature, and thus it applies to every human being on earth. Now I can stop right there and I can say that that uh, um, God's wrath is going to be executed on everybody, every person on earth. It's either going to be, though, on you in a substitute or on you in you. But God's wrath is going to be poured out. And if you've called on Jesus Christ, thank goodness the wrath was poured out on him. We think, I'll stop right there. And I'm, I just want to take you to, to, so you can think about what this means and what the wrath of God means. Because, you know, we look at the cross and we say, wasn't it wonderful what Jesus did for us? And um, let me get to, uh, where do I want this? Um, we're going to go um, 23. Oh, already passed it. Let's see here. Um, uh, the crow crying, and it says, um, anyway, um, we'll start with um, 22, 42, uh, 41. And he was withdrawn from them a stone's throw. He knelt down and he prayed, and he says, Father, if it is your will... Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What is the cup he's talking about? Wrath. It's the cup of wrath. It's the cup all the way through the Old Testament. You have Jeremiah saying, you take this cup and you give it to the nations. And he said, what if we don't want to drink it? 
And the Lord says, you will drink it. You're going to drink the wrath of God. It's the wrath of God which is being displayed. And Jesus knew that the wrath of God was about to be poured out on him. And so that is the cup that's being spoken of there. And it says, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. He was so literally, what's the term that they use? It's a medical term, therm, thrombosis. It, thrombosis. But it, it, it's more than that. It, it, that's the basis of it. But it's where you literally sweat blood. People are known to do this when they get into such an anxious state that they can no longer control themselves in any way and blood literally comes out of their pores. And that's what Jesus went through for us. He knew that the wrath of God was going to be poured out on him. And so when we speak of the wrath of God, you know, like I say, people don't want to hear about it, but it is what necessitated Christ's death was what we have done. And that wrath is going to be poured out. It's going to be poured out on us or it's going to be poured out on a substitute. But one way or another, it's going to be poured out. So the wrath of God will be executed in all people, either directly or as a result of their own unrighteousness or indirectly by substitution. Got ahead of myself there. The substitution still deals with the individual's unrighteousness, but it was taken out in Jesus, and it is revealed from faith to faith. That's why he said that in the previous verse. He's making a logic. Anytime you see a for, it's making a point about something. When you see a therefore, what do you do? That's right. You stop and go back and look what it's there for. When he says, therefore, he's making a conclusion. A for is making a continued statement on something. So he says, um, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Okay, then he goes, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then he goes into the for again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Okay, well, that's all right. This one does. And so anyway, how does yours read? It's just sort of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed. Can we help you, ma'am? Yeah, it's here to go. Okay, so, um, uh, the wrath of God will be executed. I said that the substitution still deals with the individual's unrighteousness, but it was taken out in Jesus, and it is revealed from faith to faith. Therefore, the just shall live by faith. The faith includes the fact that God has dealt with their sin in the body of Jesus Christ. Okay, the wrath is poured out. And that's why he's using this, this logical stepping stone, one thing to another, to show us, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and the right in it the righteousness of God is revealed, or the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So he's logically showing us that we're not escaping the wrath. Somebody paid it for us, that's all. It, yes, we are escaping it. We're not actually getting it ourselves. But the penalty was still paid. It was just paid in a substitute. And thank God for Jesus Christ, because he was able to take that wrath for us. He was able to and still rise from the grave. He had no sin of his own. That's the marvel of what Christ did for us. Because if we took the wrath of God, it would be the end of us. It would be the end of us. Okay? But that is not the case. That's another reason why, it's a very good reason why we should consider a pre-tribulation rapture. is because that is the time of wrath on earth. It's a time when God's wrath is being poured out. If the wrath has already been poured out in our substitute it would make no sense for us to have it poured out on us again, okay? Hello! So, it, it, the, it, that does not mean, and I said this during the Prophecy Update on Saturday, that does not mean that people are not going to suffer in this world. People died in uh, Vietnam today for being Christians, probably, right? People have died in uh, wherever, we'll say uh, Mexico, because they're Christians and the Catholics don't like that, and they go and they take away their church and they kill them. 
people died by the thousands and the hundreds of thousands in Syria because they're Christians. It happened during the Armenian, Armenian genocide, right? Millions of Christians were killed. That is part of the world that we live in. And just because America has not been in that position doesn't mean that we won't be in that position. We may get all kinds of death of Christians before the rapture, but the rapture is something to take us out before the tribulation period. Just because America suddenly falls and collapses and Christians start getting persecuted and killed doesn't mean that it's the tribulation period. And that's prophecy people, people that just go to all these prophecy sites and that's all they do all the time is just watch prophecy stuff. They get themselves into this thought that we're going to somehow be exempt from suffering because we're in America. That could be the farthest thing from the truth, but we will be exempt from uh, uh, the wrath of God to come on the world. It makes no sense for that to be poured out on people of the world when it's already been poured out on Jesus, if you understand the logic there. Before I go on, because you walked in and it reminded me, we've got four or five coconuts left. If anybody wants them, i got bags back there. Take them when you walk out. And um, uh, so, please, if you want them, take them when you go. Um, let's see here. Um, and I think everybody here knows this. If you don't, mango season ended. I don't have any more mangoes at all, but uh, uh, we had thousands this year. So good. Yeah, they were good mangoes this year. Um, okay, so um, the faith includes the fact that God has dealt with their sin in the body of Jesus Christ. Now we can understand the wrath of God, which Paul introduces in today's verse. This wrath is revealed from heaven, it says, meaning that it comes directly from the throne of God, and therefore it stems from his very character. And this is another thing that people don't seem to understand, is that, yes, God is love. And so you go into these churches and they say, well, God is love and he's not a wrathful God. And he's, that is completely misunderstanding the nature of God. Because if God is love, he must also have another way of dealing with the opposite of what occurs when we don't love him in return. The same justice, righteousness, truth, mercy, grace, holiness, all of these are attributes of God. They must all be satisfied. We can't just focus on the love and not focus on the other attributes of God. It doesn't make any sense. It, it would be illogical to even think that that was the case. Okay, Adolf Hitler killed millions of people. God's wrath is revealed in the fact that he doesn't like that that happened. It doesn't change the fact that he loves Adolf Hitler. His love doesn't change. It doesn't increase or decrease in any way, shape, or form. He doesn't love me or you any more than he loved Adolf Hitler or vice versa. But he must judge the sin of Adolf Hitler. If Hitler called on Christ before he died, then he saved. He probably didn't. We know that. He went and got shot and got his body burned up. But if he did, he would have been saved. People ask the question about Judas Iscariot. Judas, where is he right now? You know, and there are people that actually preach it. Judas is, you know, he was one of the apostles and he's good to go. He's in heaven right now. He gave his life up without repenting. Okay? I guarantee you that the love of God would have covered what Judas did if he had turned and repented. Why do I say that? Peter. Peter denied him three times, right? No different. Same situation there, folks. But he had a chance to repent. He didn't kill himself. He didn't cut himself off from being excluded from God's mercy and his grace and his love. Judas did. He killed himself, and it was a done deal. So um, let me pick those up. And um, uh, But, yeah, I, I am not one of these people that would ever presume to say that um, uh, Judas is saved. Okay. Some people, some people think that Paul Pot 
uh, in Cambodia, he might have become a Christian before he died. And there were some people who had ill feelings about that. Hey, let me tell you what. People that have ill feelings about Pol Pot or, or you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, yeah. he apparently received Christ while in prison, and people don't like that. I've heard people talk negatively, Christians talk negatively about that. They have no comprehension of their own sin. None. They, as I said, one sin of Adam necessitated the death of Christ. And so for what Pol Pot did or what Stalin did or what any other person did, it is irrelevant. What matters is faith in Christ. And all sins against not that person but against God. That's right. It, 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 all sin is against God. You can sin against another person, but ultimately sin is against God. But um, uh, to say that Pol Pot or Jeffrey Dahmer or one of these people cannot receive the grace of God and it makes people angry is really to diminish the cross of Christ. It is to diminish it because that is saying that what he did was insufficient. That's right. To say that somebody's sins can't be covered by the cross, I don't care who it is, that means that the cross was insufficient to do it, and that is impossible. Look at Paul. What a perfect example. Paul was a perfect example. Absolutely perfect example. And you know what? That one Jewish guy that um, Sergio posted on his wall, and I think some of you guys saw this as well. He's over in Israel right now. He's saying that Jesus needs to be boiled, and he needs oh. to be covered in uh, feces and all this, and he's just angry at Christians, and he's, uh, these people are saying that it's a holocaust against Jews by trying to convert them to Christianity. And they've got all just terrible things. They've got two Messianic Jews over there that they have death warrants out. If anybody kills them, they have money to, to send these people for killing them, right? And my thought was, this guy here that's sitting on this video saying all these vile things about Jesus, all of these death threats against these uh, Messianic Jews, he could be the next Paul. And that was my comment on Sergio's wall, is that this guy, imagine, imagine what an effective person he would be for Christ with such a radical change. And that's what it was in Paul. That guy sitting there saying those things is probably not much different than what Paul said about him. He railed against him. He, he brought him to, to the courts. He did everything possible to squash the name of Christ and to squash Christianity. And then his heart was changed. And, you know, the book of Acts is a testimony to the grace of God in Paul and other people. So anybody that says, now, I will say that what you just said about Pol Pot and people had hard feelings about maybe him being safe. I'll give two examples. One of them is Jane Fonda, because she is really not a liked person in this country at all. And I know Vietnam veterans that say, I would never forgive her under any circumstances. And yet, she made at one time a profession of Christ. Now, whether it was real or not, she yeah, she did. Yeah, whether, whether that was real or not, I have to tell you, if she made a true profession of Christ, she is saved. And a lot of people don't ever want that because they were fighting while she was over there railing against them. And sure it's there, a, were, there were Jews in uh, Paul's time that never forgave him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, but the, the fact remains is that he did come to Christ and he did That's right. do great And most of them extended stuff. him the right hand of fellowship. Right? Remember that when he went down to the leaders in Jerusalem and they all extend the right hand of fellowship. And if her conversion, talking about, you know, Hanoi Jane, if her conversion was real, then, you know, now she is either not truly converted or she's just fallen away from it, but she's truly saved anyway. And, you know, some people get saved and they just never do anything with it. But people don't want to hear that. And another perfect example is me. I, you know, I, I, I'd be the first one to admit that I, there are people in this world that I would 
love to see not come to Christ, and yet I still pray for them that they do. But I have that thing inside of me where I say, oh, I just, I, I can't stand it. You know, one of them sitting in the White House right now. I just, I, I think, I, I hope he gets what he deserves. And yet once in a while I'll stop and I'll say, Lord, I know that's not right. And what a great thing it would be if he would come to Christ, you know. But, so we all, we all have to struggle with that in our own way. But if somebody is saved, they are saved. The cross covers it. So, um, yes. Uh, when, uh, you know, when the Bible says we have to love everybody. It doesn't say that. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, but go ahead. But, all right. An article that I read, it was named. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of it, and that, that meant that we, have, we don't have to like everybody, but we do have to respect them. Well, you know, I have people that, that get angry at me for saying Obama. I had some people a, a week or so ago write to one girl who asked me, she said, my friends, you know, and I think they're friends on Facebook with me as well, they don't like that you say Obama and Pakistanian and all that. And I said, you know, I could change everything about me and there would be people that are not pleased with how I act. And they will always find a reason to, to niggle at you, okay? You do what you're doing. And if the Lord convicts you in your heart that you need to change, then change. But don't have people trying to change you from who you are without the Lord doing it. Okay? You can spend the rest of your life going in a circle trying to please people. And if they don't like you, if they don't like what you're doing, i got to tell you what. Respect comes from earning respect. There is a position of the White House, the President of the White House or of the, of the United States. And if I go up there, if I'm invited to go up there, first I wouldn't go up there. Okay, but if I was, I'm talking about with this president, if I decided I would go up there, he would get the respect of the office of president. As an individual, he will get this much respect from me. So you see the difference? And that's what you have to remember. Don't let people bully you that you have to somehow cave in your moral convictions because the Bible says this or that. That's absolutely not true. You have a right to hold to your moral convictions about the perverse nature of people. And what do you think that the, the epistles are doing? They're telling us wicked people are coming. They speak against their wickedness. They speak against the vile things they do. Read the book of Jude, okay? Or 2 Peter. That's what happened okay? John the Baptist. That's right. His convictions was, and he stood on them. He and... stood on his convictions. That's exactly right. So don't let people tell you that you have to you know, be nice to everybody. That's not true. Now, you need to have respect to people that are respectful. You need to have respect for an office that they're in. But people will make up all of these, especially in these liberal-leaning churches where everybody has to be kumbaya. And yet you, if you hold your Christian principles, what's the first thing they do? They demean you. They, they demean you and they attack you. So, Oh, coexist. That's the worst thing. Nonsense. You don't have to take that from people, all right? That was a question. Good, okay, all right. Um, uh, so anyway, here we go. Um, uh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the first sentence again. Now we can understand the wrath of God, which Paul introduces in today's verse. This wrath is revealed from heaven, meaning that it comes directly from the throne of God, and it therefore stems from his very character. There is nothing arbitrary or impetuous about God's wrath. He's not, he's not the God of Islam, who is vindictive, who is changing, who is, uh, he, he's manipulative, that is not God. God, there's nothing impetuous about him. His wrath is revealed from his nature. From If, if you think of, I don't want to stand up because then the camera will go over here, but if you think of a column, and now this column isn't God, I'm just giving you an example, okay? You have a column. It's stuck in the ground. It's not moving, right? 
Now, if you are living for the Lord, you're on the right side of it, right? And you're on God's right side. He's happy with you. But if you're not living for the Lord, you move to the left side. God hasn't changed. He never changes. We move in relation to God. God does not move in relation to us. Unfortunately, the world of today thinks that God moves in relation to us. And that goes for charismatics and their snapping fingers and saying that I'm going to get my BMW as well. Those kind of, well, I'm just saying, I, I hear people, especially down in the projects, you hear people claim stuff. I claim prosperity and I claim healing in Jesus' name. God doesn't work that way, okay? We, God does not change in relation to us. And if you say, I claim something in Jesus' name, then that is God being manipulated by you. And that is not the way that God works. God doesn't change, okay? We change in relation to God. That's how that works. And so it, it goes as much for Christians that are misguided by doctrine as it does by the nature of humanity. I'm on God's good side because I have faith. I'm living for the Lord. I'm on God's bad side because I don't exercise faith. I'm at the Burning Man Festival and doing all these things or I'm, you know, whatever. So we change in relation to the nature of God. He does not change, okay? So there's nothing arbitrary or impetuous about God's nature. Instead, when it is seen, it is because a violation against his nature has occurred. The column, I'm over here, I'm not violating his nature. Adam was over here, he'd done nothing wrong. There's fellowship, they're walking around in the garden together. They're seeing each other face to face. Adam does something wrong, God hasn't changed. Adam moves over here. He is now on the other side. And once again, this is just an example, okay? God is everywhere. I'm not trying to make, don't think that the column is God. I'm just making an example for you to understand, is that we change in relation to God. Adam changed in relation to God. Hence of protection is another good way of putting it. That's right. Okay, if, if all the evils out there and the arrows are coming this way and you're behind the hedge of protection, right. you're good. But if you step outside, outside of that, of that hedge, choice to step outside. I step outside. All the, arrows. the arrows are coming at you. That's that's a very good example there. And we can think of Abraham. Abraham changed in relation to God. God told him something. Abraham believed, and God credited to him for righteousness. God didn't change. His standard is this. Abraham believed God, and he went to this side of God. He was declared righteous because of faith. Okay? He doesn't change. So, um, uh, it is this measured and righteous response which will come against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. When Paul wrote that in uh, Romans 1.18, he's going to, uh, let me read it again, um, uh, reveal from heaven against all unrighteousness and un, uh, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is the wrath of God being revealed. It is a measured response, nothing vindictive, vindictive nothing impetuous about it. It is us changing in relation to him. Perfect example. Look at America, right? America was founded, whether they want to acknowledge it anymore or not, it was founded as a Christian nation. And guess what? Most of you in here know this, but the Trinity decision, I think it was of 1898, it was uh, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States was uh, challenged about the Christian heritage of America. Okay? And so what did the uh, Supreme Court justices do? They went back and they researched all of the founding documents. It took apparently longer than any other court case. They researched for 10 years to make the decision on this, if, I'm, if I remember reading this properly. But anyway, at the end of it, they declared that the, and I'm going to misquote it, you can go online and you can uh, uh, read their judgment, but it, it, it's something like, based on the mass 
uh, uh, number of organic utterances that they have read, that they have researched, we declare this is a Christian nation. Okay? We are a Christian nation. And that is jurisprudence from the Supreme Court of the United States of America, meaning that that is law. That is the state and the status of this country even to this day. Until the Supreme Court revokes that and says we are not a Christian nation, we are a Christian nation. We can't pass any law to change it. We can't pass any anything until the Supreme Court says otherwise. They have declared that. Okay. Now, if we are supposedly still a Christian nation because it's on the books, and we are not living for the Lord, think of your own child. Your child isn't living for you. What are you going to do if you're a good parent? You're going to punish them. Right? We are supposedly a Christian nation. Not supposedly, we are, according to the, the documents of the United States of America. What do you think that we should expect based on having kicked God out of every single part of public life? Every part of it. Punishment. Okay. That's exactly right. That is what we should expect from God. Okay? Did God change in relation to us? No. no. We changed in relation to him. And that's what's happening here on an individual basis or on a societal basis or a cultural basis. When you change in relation to God, just as the Jews did, the national corporate body of Israel twice changed in relation to God. They were under the covenant, they disobeyed the covenant, and as a corporate body, they were exiled because of their disobedience. God didn't change, they changed. Okay. Now, in his grace, he has brought them back into the land where they're at. And they're going to, because they haven't called on Christ and the tribulation period isn't far away, they are going to enter the tribulation period. The Bible says that how many percentage of them are going to be killed? Two-thirds. Two-thirds are going to die. A third will be brought through. It's going to be a bloodbath on this earth. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says that uh, I will make man rarer than fine gold. Imagine that. If you know, you got people on little islands out there in the middle of nowhere that don't have any contact with anybody, and the heat of anger in this world is going to be so bad that they're going to be killing each other. I mean, it's just going to be that way. Why? Because the wrath of God is revealed from all unrighteousness. The world has taken the path of unrighteousness. We have changed in America in relation to our mandate as a Christian nation. It ought to be scary. People ought to be sitting here right now in this church, and if anybody's watching online, they ought to be saying, I'm really not in <laughs> feeling good about my country right now. That's where we should be every single day. We should be praying that we will have a change here. But... We don't know if we will or not. That's The Lord does, and hopefully this nation will have a change, but, you know, the way things are going. So, anyway, uh, the two words are translated from asabea and adikia. All right? The first is well translated as ungodliness, because it reflects the opposite of godliness. All right? Remember, A at the beginning of word in Greek is a negative. Like you have uh, a theist is what? A person who studies God. Well, an atheist would be atheos, right? No God, all right? So when you see the A at the beginning of a word, it generally means a negative, okay? So, asabea, the word is translated ungodliness because it reflects the opposite of godliness. What is demonstrated is the polar opposite of what is expected. An example of this would be, nobody wants to talk about it anymore except in uh, little churches like this, but an example of this would be homosexuality, Okay? Sex was designed by God to be between what? Man. A man and a woman. Very good. Everybody here got that. A good <laughs> class. Okay. So, 
This is the self-evident natural order of things. We don't need to guess about it. I can walk into a room and I can say, that's a guy, that's a girl. I, if there are two guys sitting there holding each other inappropriately, I am going to know in my heart, without ever having been trained on this doctrine, I'm going to know that it is wrong. I'm, yes? Man and his Man and his wife. A man and woman. You can't have somebody else's woman. Well, that's true, a man and his wife. But yes. man and woman in the general gender. Yes, yes, but you're right. A man and his wife. But uh, uh, the, the old uh, saying, I've heard it in a couple sermons over the years, is that he made them uh, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Right? Okay. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, um, homosexuality. Sex was designed to be between a man and his wife, but woman. Uh, this is the evident, self-evident natural order of things. Therefore, sins such as this are committed against what God has naturally instilled in us, and they are diametrically opposed to his very nature. It is ungodliness. And when, when the uh, homosexual agenda was passed at the Supreme Court of the United States, what was the the, the catchphrase, it was posted everywhere. Love wins. Love wins. As it's... What? Perversion. Yeah, perversion wins. All of these churches saying that, oh... Love everybody. What is that noise? Oh, it must be the, uh, the camera. I don't know. Maybe Sergio's doing something with it, or maybe it's me. I'm trying to sit still today, but I heard it moving. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, it's, love wins. Okay? And love didn't win. Love lost. And the... Anger of God is being revealed because of these type of things. This is what Paul is writing about right here. I know we haven't gone very far here, but this then is what... It gets into that. Oh, it will. It'll get into it in detail in the next five or six or seven verses. But um, uh, self-evident nature of things, therefore sins such as this, are committed against what God has naturally instilled in us, and they are diametrically opposed to his nature. It is ungodliness. The second word deals more with an absence of what is inwardly right in attitude, which is, uh, the word is, um, uh, where is um, godliness and unrighteousness, okay? It deals more with what is an absence of what is inwardly right in attitude and what is outwardly right in conduct. It is the intention behind the act which is leading to the act. In other words, I don't care what God says and instead I will do this. That is unrighteousness. So ungodliness is working against what is naturally instilled in man. It's something saying that there is something that is natural, it is right, and I'm going to not do that thing. The other is a, like a willful disobedience. I know that God says this in his word, and I'm going to do it anyway. And I think of these churches all over the world. You know that lady on the Prophecy Update this week, uh, what was her name? Martha Garrett up in uh, Canada, and what she wrote about the churches in Canada. She says that they are completely depraved. And then she said that the, the government is too. It's just that it, it, it's just completely depraved up there. Guess what? It is here too. And it's getting that way everywhere in the world. If you have any sense of morality, if you have any sense of saying, I'm going to hold to what God says, regardless of what the world thinks, you are the miscreant. You are the one that doesn't know what God is thinking. God doesn't change. I remember when that guy um, Robinson, the first gay bishop of the Episcopal Church, uh, when they ordained him as a bishop within the Episcopal Church, you know what he said? God is doing a new thing. Uh -huh. You know, where do you get that from? Where's the source of your information? Right? The only source that it can come from is from his head. That's the only place it can come from because it sure isn't in his word and it is not instilled 
in humanity that is diametrically opposed to what we know is morally right. Okay? Anyway. Um, okay. God's wrath is revealed in these things by those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This is a real important phrase here. To suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I'll probably say the same thing that I'm going to read here, but if you think about what that means. This is right. This is moral. This is good. This is what God says, right? All of this is out in front of us. And instead, you say, I am going to actually suppress that. I'm actively going to take what is morally right, and I'm going to suppress it. I'm going to push it out of my face. And that is the attitude that God despises. We're living it big time. It, well, oh, we're living in it big time. That is absolutely right. God literally despises that attitude. That's what Jesus, you know, when he, he got down on the, the Pharisees, is because that they were using their own laws, and they were suppressing God's laws. They were taking the truth that God had revealed, and they were suppressing it. And instead, they were elevating other things. That's what we're doing in the world today. We are taking what is good and moral and right, and we are suppressing it. And we're saying, think of it. Go out on that street right now with a sign that says, God does not accept homosexuality. There you go. Your your response tells you where we are in this world. We, we are at a point in this world where the society as a whole has said, I'm going to suppress the truth of God. And we are in very dangerous waters when we get to that point. Okay, so, um, oh, where was I? Um, uh, suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What this is saying is tied into the two words that we just looked at, ungodliness and unrighteousness. What is natural and correct is instilled in humanity by God, and thus we have a conscience about our actions. Okay, now think of this. It's um, um, uh, Bob, he's all right? I don't know, I haven't heard from him. Oh, okay, just, just <clears throat> saw you looking down, I realize you're not sitting with Bob tonight, so, <laughs> all right. I was thinking about him before class today. Anyway, um, um, uh, what was my point? I just, Bob came to mind, and uh, I forgot what I was, oh yeah, the two words we uh, just looked at, what is natural and correct, correct is instilled in humanity by God, and thus we have a conscience about our actions. There are people that, have no conscience. Have you ever heard of these people? Literally, they're, they're born without Sociopath. a conscience. Sociopaths. Thank you. That's the word. Is that the normal state of man? Okay, let me ask you a question. Because people will use people like sociopaths and say, that's natural. Okay? That is okay. And they use that as a basis for their own perverse actions. Let me ask you something. Is it normal for people to be born with one arm? No. No. Is it people normal for people to be born with one leg? No. There is a normal way that people are born. And then there are abnormal people that are born. That's why we have mental hospitals. That's why we develop drugs for sociopaths. Okay? You cannot take a person that is born without morals and a person that is born without a conscience and use him as the baseline. But guess what they do in this society? They take people like that and they elevate them as the baseline so that they can work out their own personal deviant mores. Instead of saying, I am going to hold to what God has said, what he has revealed, and it's evident to me, even if I've never read the Bible, it's evident to me, I know that it's wrong, I, I, but I want to do this thing. And that's what Paul is saying. He suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. He knows, I know, God knows, okay? You can't take what is deviant and make it the standard, okay? Um, but this conscience is suppressed in order for us to do those things which are contrary to the conscience. Let me ask you, has anybody here ever done something that they knew they shouldn't do? 
contrary to the conscience that is in their head, and they say, I know I shouldn't be doing this. Right? Everybody that I, except Kitiko, she didn't, I didn't see any response from her. She just, <laughs> anyway, she's laughing now. We all have. We all have done something that we say, I know I shouldn't do this, but. And then we justify it. And we say, I am going to do this because. And once you do that, I'm telling you what, it becomes easier the next time. And it becomes easier the next time. And then your friends see that you got away with it. And what do they do? They join in with you. And pretty soon, you're, as the Bible says, you're inventing new ways of committing evil. You're, you're going down a path because you can do it. And that's what society is doing. Every single week in the Prophecy Update, we have a new bathroom bill. We have a new enactment by our president because it's okay now. This is acceptable. I can push it a little further. Nobody's going to say anything. And so little by little, they just keep suppressing the truth in their unrighteousness until the point where we are the deviants. When, in fact, we're the only ones that are holding to what the country has held to for 200 and some years and that the world at large is held to for the past 2,000 some years and the rest of the world knows that they are doing wrong. They know that what they're doing is wrong, but we are the deviants. We are the ones that need to be gotten rid of. Okay, um, uh, let's see here. Where was I? Uh, yes, but this conscience is suppressed in order for us to do those things which are contrary to our conscience. As Paul will show us, this leads to a spiral of depravity, which goes from one sin to another, and each is more depraved from the next. As I just said, one thing leads to another, one thing leads to another. And, you know, I, I didn't read my notes beforehand, and I'm always getting ahead of myself, but it's the logical conclusion. I don't need to read my notes to know exactly what the next thing is. And that's why I say, when Paul writes something in Romans chapter 1, and you stop and you think, it just fits so perfectly. It's exactly what I'm seeing in the world. It's because it's God's word. It is exactly what we should be obeying, and we should be observing this in the world around us. It is, Romans chapter 1 is so marvelously perfect in how it's structured that if you just drive down the road and you think about it, and you think of all the things that are going on around you as you're driving, you're going to say, man, did he peg that? Why? Because God made us. The, the, the instruction manual for humanity is right here. It's good that we have psychiatrists. It's good that we have psychologists because there are little issues that crop up in people's lives. Pastors do counseling on certain things. But the manual for that, the basis for it is right here. And if you have two Christian counselors and they, one says this and one says this and they are the opposite, one of them is not following scripture. That's all there is to it, because this is the standard, this is the manual, and one of them has either misread scripture or they've ignored it, because you're not going to have any, any variation or shadow of turning in God. Only our misapplication of what God has said will lead to that. That's why I say what, rightly dividing. Rightly dividing the word of God. That's right. Let me take you to what it says in the book of James about, uh, I just quoted it, but um, I'll read you the verse and I'll explain it, what he's saying here. Um, James, it's after Hebrews. Wrong way, Charlie. Okay, Hebrews, 59th book of the Bible. All right, James, where is it? There, okay. He says, um, uh, see if I can find this really quickly. Um, I might not be able to. I think it's in chapter 2, but it says, um, oh, it's not there. Shadow of turning. Where is that? Um, uh, maybe it's chapter 3. Okay, he says, um, uh, why can't I find this? Why can't I find this? He says, uh, in God there is no change, no shadow of turning. 
And I want to give you an example so that you can understand. And um, somebody find that verse really quickly and just look for the word shadow. And as soon as you see it in the book of James, then we'll, we won't waste the whole class with me looking for it. Um, try and so for testing. Oh, it's in uh, chapter 1. Chapter 17. I knew it. Chapter 1. That's why I said, and then I couldn't find There it is. Okay, let me go back a little. 15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Okay, the word there is... Um, why can't I think of the word right now? It's um, uh, shifting shadow. Well, shifting shadow. That that's it. The but, sundial. Well, not really. The sundial is almost right, but there's a, a change in the sundial. I'm trying to think of the the Greek word, but w what it comes from. Our English word uh, parallax comes from that word. Okay, so it's uh, paralege. I think that's the word that I'm looking for. Paralege, and I may be wrong, and I'll I'll check that out. But a parallax is when you have for example, um, Tom and I are looking out at the stars, okay? And he's over uh, in um, Alabama, and I'm in Florida, and we're talking on the cell phone. We're looking at the stars. And he's going to look at the same star, and he's going to see it a little bit off from what I'm seeing. He's going to say, well, you see it's right next to that star, and I'm seeing it. And they're not aligned because we're not in the same place. Or if you hold a camera, and you look old-style camera, not the new ones, but you hold an old-style camera, and you look through it, and you take the picture, and when you get home and you develop the picture, the feet are missing. It's because there's a parallax. There's a change in relation to what you're looking at. Okay? I'll show you what I'm talking about. You've got this. You've got here, and somebody is out here, and they're looking at it, and somebody's out here, and you're looking at it. So they're going to see these two things differently. They're going to see a different angle of these two things within a circle. This is a parallax. You've got a variation. When it says that there is no change in God, there's no shifting shadow in God, it doesn't matter what direction you look at something, it is always the same. Always the same. There's no change in God. And that's he had to reach into the Greek lexicon and he had to pull out this one unusual word that's only used that one time in the Bible to try to describe to us that God doesn't change in any way, shape, or form. There is no parallax in God. Whereas in us, there's always change, and we're looking at things differently. That's why the sundial doesn't really explain it, is because in God, there is no change. No matter which way you look at him, no matter which way you view his morality, it will never change. Okay? So, if we can understand that, then we can understand what Paul is saying about the unrighteousness of man. Um, let's see here. Where was I? Um, Paul will show that of the spiral of depravity. This unnatural course isn't taken by individuals alone, though. Now I'm going to say something that I said earlier. Instead, it is the path of societies throughout history as well. Examples of such depravity are given from the earliest pages of the Bible and are seen to continue to its last pages. Give me an example of a society that devolved in the Bible. Um, any of the countries that were promised land. Absolutely. Well, I'm thinking specifically of Sodom and Gomorrah, a perfect example, right? right. They, they had gone to such a, 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 a place of unrighteousness that God had destroyed them. But all around, as you said, any of them in the, the promised land, he said, God says that um, I'm going to give you this land. He says, but I'm not going to do it now. It's going to be 400 years because the sins of the Amorites has not yet been fulfilled. There's a point where sin is heaped up in the land to such an extent 
that there is no remedy except to destroy the people of the land. In the situation of Genesis chapter 6, he flooded the whole world. He said wickedness is abounding, called Noah, and we got into 7 and 8 and 9. He destroyed the entire world, but 8 people, and he started all over again. And what did he do? He says, I'm never going to destroy the world, yet the inclination of man's heart is evil all the time. I know I'm misquoting that. He says, I'm never going to destroy the world again by flood. He didn't promise he wasn't going to destroy the world again. He just promised he wasn't going to do it by flood. And the tribulation period is exactly a repetition of what's coming in the, uh, the destruction of the world. Or Sodom and Gomorrah, as it says in the book of uh, Jude, these things are examples for us. They're examples to show us what God is all about. People that can't find wrath in the New Testament are not looking. And, and Paul perverted that one with the rainbow. That that's right. God, oh, sure. There's a sign for us that God's faithfulness. That's right. And they use the rainbow for the LGBT. But, they, but it's go wrong. ahead. It's wrong. There's only six colors. Yeah, that's right. There's but seven in the uh, the rainbow. And so what is six? It's the number of fallen man. So they, they perfectly picked the number of, not knowing it either. You're talking about people that are just so depraved that they don't even realize what they're doing. That perfectly matches the, what the Bible would describe of it anyway. It's short of perfection, completely short of it. So, anyway, um, that's another thing. Just it came to mind, and people talk about what is the um, uh, sign of the Antichrist, right? And there are different views, you know. Uh, uh, the number is 666. Yeah, it's really coming down out there. The number is 666. And then people, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Shobet. He's a, a, a Muslim, or he was, and, you know, he, uh, he, he, uh, he speaks Arabic. And so he says that the sign of the Antichrist is actually Arabic. If you take the 666 from the Greek, and you, it, it looks like Arabic, okay? In other words, so he's saying that it is an Arabic symbol, saying that it's going to be a Muslim that's the Antichrist. That's misunderstanding. And this, it's natural, though. Don't get me wrong, but people do this all the time. They look at the Bible from their own perspectives. Right, so if I speak Arabic, I'm going to try to make it look like something that I understand. And it, he's not alone. This is just one example that comes to mind. There are people all over the world that do this. They take the Bible and they use presuppositions, what they believe, and they insert it into the Bible. The reason for the Antichrist and it being the number 666, first, it's not Arabic because it was written in Greek, not Arabic, and John wasn't thinking in Arabic. He was thinking in Greek. Okay, but secondly, it's the number which is important. The number is 666. It falls perfectly short of divine perfection. Divine perfection is the number seven, or any, you go back to, uh, what was his name that died at 777 years of age? Um, um, what's his name? Anyway, I think it was Lamech. Anyway, there are certain numbers in the Bible that mean certain things. Six means short of spiritual perfection. It's the number of man, and especially fallen man. The Antichrist will be the perfectly fallen man, 666. So we have to be careful when we look at those type of things, and I didn't mean to have a distraction there, but something I just saw in my notes made me think of that, is that we, we don't want to insert our presuppositions into the Bible, because you're always going to come up with something that kind of matches. It's always going to happen. You know, I mean, people come up with all kinds of things and they say, like that guy, remember I was talking about the, um, uh, the um, dome instead of the tabernacle and the prophecy update, he came, because he's got a presupposition. He's got something that he thinks, and he did all of these numbers on these pieces of cloth and they came out to almost 314, right? Well, they didn't come out to 314, but even if they did, 
314 is the number of a circle, pi, right? And so he says, well, then it must be a circle. And he built an entire theology and wrote a book, you know, about the tabernacle being a dome, when none of it makes any sense. None of it makes any sense. But that's what happens when you insert presuppositions of what God has already revealed. Mm-hmm. He has revealed to us what each number means. He's revealed to us what each thing, and the stone means the same thing. It's consistent. Salt has its own meaning. Everything in the Bible has a meaning. If you take what he is telling us out, you'll come to a proper conclusion. If you insert what you believe in there, you'll come to something very interesting, always, and very wrong, right? So, and that's why I I really, really stress over sermons, because there are times where I see something and I don't know what it's talking about. And I think, Lord, I do not want to be wrong in this, and I'd rather just not even bring it up than to be to be wrong. Like, I, in all honesty, I don't want to say something and say, "Oh my goodness, you know, I really failed on that one." Anyway, um, Lamech was seven seven. It was Lamech. Good, good job, Charlie. Seven seven seven. Okay, and there was a reason for that. Anyway, oh, I'm so glad I got that right. I've been in Genesis now, what, five, six years now? Whatever, it's been a while. Anyway, um, let's see here. Um, where were we? Um, I can't even remember where my uh, unnatural course is and taken by individuals alone as societies. Um, examples of s- such depravity. Okay, we need to be clear on what Paul is telling us because this is what necessitated the death of the Lord. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'll probably say it ten more times in the next five verses. Looking to his cross is the only way apart from God's wrath being directly leashed on us for the spiral to be stopped. It's the only way, because the spiral is already going. In every human heart, it's going in every society on the planet. And unless you come to say, I am going to do what God wants us to do, you are going to have this problem. You have to look to the cross of Christ and what God expects of us. And his wrath is revealed in the cross of Christ. And you say, oh, how many of you, and some of you were born and you were raised as Christians and there was never that moment, but how many of you realized that Christ died for you and you were crushed when you thought that he died on the cross for you? Does that happen to anybody here? Some of you. I literally, Hedeko knows, I cried for three months. I'd go sit in church and they'd start singing a song about the cross and I'd break down in tears. I couldn't help myself. What have I done to, to cause that? To cause his anger to be poured out on his own son for me, right? I, I just, I remember hearing the, uh, uh, what's the song? Um, Up from the grave he arose, and I just, I'd be crying as I drive. I remember pulling into uh, into uh, Sarasota Square Mall and just hearing that song and just crying. He arose for me. I, I mean, when you look at it from that perspective, and the whole world needs to do this, and instead they don't. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So anyway, um, for an individual, accepting the gospel leads to salvation. In a nation, it leads to what? Restoration of morality and a right relationship with God. Now, I am not one of these people that says that we should be uh, praying to, what is it, to uh, Chronicles 7.14? Is that the verse? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me read that to you. And you have to keep things in context or it is a... Pretext. Thank you. It has to be in context or it is a pretext. It says in 2 Corinthians 7.14, and if you get there before I do, just read it. Um, 2 Corinthians, but read it loud. I got it right here. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 14 says, If my people who are... How many of you heard this applied to America a million times? Okay, yes. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Okay? I have to tell you, that's, that pertains to Israel. Israel. That is his people, that is the land of Israel, and it is his people. However, the precept remains true for us. We are under God's wrath because we have turned from God. All right? So I'm not saying not to pray that, and I'm not saying to pray that. I'm saying that we as a society have to turn to God. We just can't claim 2 Corinthians 7.14 in order to do it. It's just not proper handling of the Bible. The precept is true, but the verse is not given for us. It's given for Israel. Okay? So it's kind of a, a, a fine line with that one, and I know a lot of people will be upset that I said that because they've been saying it for years. We need to claim 2 Corinthians 7.14. Well, that's the same thing as claiming Jeremiah 33, 33, 3, or any of these other verses. They don't apply to us, all right? Um, but they make us feel good, and the Bible is intended to do that. It's intended to build us up and to strengthen us. You know, I, I usually uh, quote a, the what? Oh, I thought you were saying something. Yeah, uh, the other thing, too, is that Jerusalem is, the, is God's chosen people. That's right. I always said that I don't think it was a choosing for a very good thing to happen because there's a lot of turmoil that they went through. But even though that was directed to Jerusalem, it applies to all of It us. applies but to everybody. That's right. getting the pounding because of... Because their, of who they are. They were God-selected people. Our behavior. They're just... And they get, they get pounded every time. But yeah. That's absolutely right. And we're going to talk about that in the sermon on Sunday. It's um, the law of the Sabbath. And I'm going to talk about that in, in relation... Israel in relation to them... And we have to remember, this is something I'm going to divert for just a second, just so that you can think this through, is that um, um, the law, and I say it during the prophecy updates as well, Israel's back in the land, okay? They are going to build a temple. We know that. They are already, I've got something in the prophecy update coming this week, and I'll give you a foretaste of it, and then you can sleep through this two minutes, is they have appointed a high priest. They have decided on a high priest for Israel. They've selected him as name. And um, uh, is that the right thing for them to do? No. No, of course it's not, because the law is annulled in Christ. But at the same time, it is the right thing according to Scripture, because God has given them those seven years. It doesn't mean that it's what God wants for them. It's what he has allowed for them in order to refine them through the tribulation period and to bring them into a right relationship with him when they call on Jesus. So there's two things going on there, and we have to be careful. I support Israel because God has placed Israel in the land of Israel. I believe that it's their land, and I think dividing it is the worst thing in the world to do because it says in, uh, what is it, Joel 3, what? Joel 3, I think it's verse 1, where it says, they've divided up my land. That's coming, and God's wrath will be poured out on the world because of that. And yet at the same time, I don't defend that they have a temple coming, that they're doing the, the works of the law, that they have a high priest, that they're going to be doing sacrifices. Those things are done in Christ. But God has allowed this. And so it's kind of like the same thing with us as a people. We are a nation. We're not Israel. We don't claim 2 Corinthians, or, yeah, 2 Corinthians 7, 14. But Chronicles. At the same, 2 Chronicles, thank you. I keep saying that. But at the same time, we should be repenting, and God would heal this land. He would turn his favor on us once again. I just don't think it's going to happen, and claiming that verse doesn't do anybody any good at all, because you can't claim a verse for a group of people that are wayward. What will probably happen is the... Here's what I think it still bears on Romans, so I, I don't want to get too far away from Romans, but it does bear on it. Here's what I think is going to happen with the world. Okay, 
there is going to be a great something after the um, rapture. A great deception. A great deception. Good. Very good. Okay. So, um, uh, we're going to have a great deception. All right? And the world is going to be deceived. Okay? Does that mean that everybody on the planet is going to be deceived? No. How do we know that? Because there's also a great, great white multitude. Right? Saved through the tribulation period. Okay? The great deception is the lie that people will buy into. And it's already being, I mean, you can tell somebody that, um, you know, you can, you can tell somebody that it's something that's really stupid and they still believe it because, oh, Hillary Clinton, you know, oh, she, yeah. she, I'm just saying, she, she is lied. You know that she's a liar and you can tell people that she's a liar and they say, oh, no, she's a good person. We get it every week, don't we, Jim? Oh, yeah. Okay, so there are people that are utterly deceived because they want to be deceived. The great deception is going to be the masses of the people of the world because they want to believe the lie. They want to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But this does not mean that all people will be deceived. There's a great white multitude that are going to lose their heads. And it says if they lose their head for the sake of Christ, they're going to be at the first resurrection. They're going to be raised. And the second death has no power over them. They believed God's word a little late. They believed God's word. They were executed for, God, for Christ's sake, and they will be resurrected, and they will live forever. The second death has no hold over them. Okay? So, that is a perfect example of what we have right here. The end times is a perfect example. There is a great deception. Most of the world is going to fall into it. Not everybody will. And it could be that an entire nation, like England, they've approved the Brexit. They haven't Brexited yet, and there, there's uh, some talk that it's not going to happen because it's so complicated. But we'll make the assumption that they actually do get out of the EU, okay? They are standing alone and they decide in the end times we're going to support Israel. And then there's a rapture. And all of a sudden, the Christians are gone. And the nation of England decides they're not part of the great deception. We believe that we were wrong. They were a great Christian nation once, right? And maybe there'll be a great multitude that come out of England that are part of the great white multitude. And maybe the same is true with America. I haven't lost faith in the people of this country. I've lost faith in this country. There's a big difference. The people of this country may turn around and do the right thing after the rapture. And the world may come against America. They may come against some other country. But the majority of the people are going to just go down hell's highway. That's what they want to do. This is what Paul is speaking about in Romans, just on a global scale. Yes? Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Chapter two. Chapter two. Yes. Well, it, it, up here when it's talking about the false Christ will come. Right. Uh, and, and down here, God will send them a delusional influence that they will believe. Believe the lie. Believe the lie. Right. In order that they all might be judged who did not believe the truth, took pleasure in us. Took pleasure in wickedness. Right. We're, we're right there. In, we are right there. People taking pleasure in wickedness, and they would rather make their own diving board off into hell than to say, I'm going to not do this thing and I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow God. How many people, where they are, I don't know, but I know that the Bible says that there is a great white multitude that will. Okay, they will give up their lives, they will be beheaded, and they will be raised at the first resurrection. Okay, so they gotta come from somewhere. So it's not everybody on the earth and some people will say, I have heard this one as well. If you have heard the gospel, at the rapture, you can never be saved. 
That is absolute nonsense. Yeah, they, there, there's a whole group of people out there that teach this. Pastors all over the place. She's shaking his head because we've talked about this. Is that if you have heard the gospel and the rapture occurs, you can never be saved. That completely diminishes once again the power of the cross because Christ's blood can cover any sin. But that is a real teaching and it's all over. I mean, it's all over Christianity. I've heard that many times. If you take the mark. Yes, if you take the mark, you can never be saved. And that is absolutely crystal clear in the Bible. If you take the mark of the beast, you cannot be saved. And so you will end up dying. I mean, there's the two options. So who are these people? I don't know. We'll be out of here, but there are going to be a great multitude that will. But there will be a great deception where the vast majority of the people will follow after the Antichrist. You missed a good example of the, of the deception. Global warming. Global warming. That's the perfect one. That is the perfect one. You can tell people that that is absolutely without any basis in the truth at all, and they will do this and they'll say, without any evidence, without... 80% of scientists agree. It's like, yeah, agree on what? They don't agree on anything. But you're right, that's a perfect example of deception. It's a perfect example. Okay, um, back to the notes here. Where was I? Um, um, yes? You mentioned the land in that Second Chronicles 7.14. Right. The land. You go through Genesis. It's a good thing to underline or highlight land. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a couple different words for land, so you've got to be careful with that. But go ahead. Go ahead. They're a people of the land. Right. They're back in their land. God gave them. That is true. That's I see what you're saying. I thought you were saying, because not every word that says land in the Bible is the same. No, you but, got, the, but you're right. They are the people of the land, and this is their land, and they are in their land right now. You're right. And that's a good, good thing to do, is to follow that and to see. And that's why I don't understand people that are like... Um, replacement theologians and they completely dismiss you talk about a great deception more than global warming is the church disbelieving that israel is back in the land for god's purposes that is one of the biggest deceptions of all i got to tell you those people are completely deceived if they can't see at least when you look back at like like the old church and i'll explain that one of these days yeah it makes it makes sense like you know what how can that be that's right you know but you know this here it's you know I know we're gonna, we're gonna be the, the shorelines are gonna like it's like well I've been hearing this now for like fifty of my sixty years. The ocean hasn't gone up this much right, right. since I was born. I live a quarter of a mile from where I grew up, and the water hasn't gone up this much. Mm-hmm. The, the seas are not rising. Anyway, okay. Um, for an individual, accepting the gospel leads to salvation, and a nation it leads to restoration. Unfortunately. As wickedness grows, the number of those who will accept the message dwindles until God's wrath is revealed. Not in Christ's substitution, but in his measured response of destruction. Okay? There is a nation that is following Christ, and he says, my wrath is poured out on my son on behalf of these people. The land is going to be productive. There's going to be all kinds of fruit coming out of the land. The people are going to prosper. They're going to reap a hundredfold. This is the natural way of the world. Why? Because those people are following biblical precepts. Not just that they've called on Jesus and God says, oh, I'm happy with that. It's because following along with following on, uh, uh, following after Jesus comes all of the moral things that a land would normally do. They're going to work hard. They're going to go to bed on time. They're going to get up early. They're going to be teaching their children good things. And so that land is going to naturally be productive. When a society deviates from that, they're no longer following a productive path. So 
Yes, God's wrath is revealed, but it doesn't mean it's actively revealed. It can be passively revealed because God has ordained in nature that the natural order of things will reject this perverse path that people are following all by itself without him doing anything. Right? Oh, okay. Well, next, uh, well we're not there yet. I, I, I still got more to go. But anyway, the, you, you see the logic there. It doesn't have to be active. It can be passive. God's wrath can be revealed just like that. So anyway, here we go. Um, as an important point to consider while reviewing Paul's words in this verse is that a full explanation of the good news is coming. However, before the felicity and favor, we must see the enmity and the wrath. Only then can we understand the great love of God, which is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Can't happen any other way. You have to understand what God did in Christ to understand how to obtain his favor. The two have to go together. All right? Societies will naturally be established if you, not always, I shouldn't say naturally, but normally if a society is established, it's established by people and they say, we're going to make something good. Most societies do not originally start out thinking, I'm going to do something bad. But the wickedness of their hearts, the misguiding of their minds will inevitably lead that society to, to fall. Now, you think of the guy over in uh, North Korea right now, Kim Jong-un, right? He just had another person in his um, uh, cabinet executed a couple days ago because he was sitting wrong during one of his speeches. He might have been sitting like this instead of like this or something. Yeah. And so there, there are people that are naturally depraved that move into positions of power. You know, originally, I think it was his father. I don't know if, it, is he the second or third generation of, that have led North Korea? He's, he's the third? second ill. Um, okay, because one of them actually supposedly was a Christian, when, oh, a, 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 a saved Christian, one of the people in this line. And um, I heard this, I think, during a uh, Billy Graham crusade or something. Oh. Anyway, grandfather. grandfather, okay, and then they've just deviated away. And once you are in that type of a position, growing up in it, you become more and more depraved. And the things this guy does, I mean, he had somebody executed a week ago with an artillery gun. He's done it in the past, too. He did this about a year ago. He put him out there on a, 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 an open field, and they have a stadium where he sits with all of his people, and they shoot him with an artillery gun. We well, did it again just a week ago. Imagine that. Because life doesn't mean anything anymore. There's no kicks to, that can be gotten, and everything becomes, I, I need the next thing. I need the next thing. I need the next thing. And that's what happens in the world. Okay, anyway. Um, uh, okay, but without the, the, the understanding what Christ did, without understanding the horror of the cross, this is the inevitable end of things. If his grandfather was a saved Christian, it was forgotten. And slowly but surely, over the years, they just depart further and further and further from the truth. And what's the old saying? Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's just a point where it's inevitable. Okay, a um, little life application, and we're almost done. I mean, I, we're only oh done gosh. one verse today, and I'm sorry about that, but... Um, um, the what? That yeah, that's okay. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, let's see here. Don't be sorry for good teaching. Oh, that's, that's all right. right. Yeah, well, that's true. Okay, uh, but I'm not saying that I am. I I'm just it. saying that, okay, life application. Now, uh, one sin caused man to fall, and we were all condemned through that one sin. God has offered a cure through one man's righteousness. We can be healed, and we can be saved. Are you willing to put aside your enmity with God and accept his kind offer of grace? Okay, um, we're, we'll uh, 
not finished yet because we do have a couple more minutes, but there's two things that I need to do. The first is um, there may be somebody that's watching, and I haven't done this during any of the Bible studies, but you know, people are curious about the Bible and they might not even be saved. And so I would like to really quickly, just in, because actually the, the reason why I'm doing this is because the views on YouTube for the Bible studies are actually higher than the sermons. And I give a call in the sermon every single week, and I haven't done that during a Bible study. So, because there are people that want to know the Bible, and that really makes me happy. But I'd like to tell anybody that is watching that has never received Jesus, or if they're not sure if they have, that it's very simple, and that there is nothing that you need to do. Jesus Christ has done it all. Everything needed for your salvation is done. Now, people get upset when you say you don't need to repent, but repenting means change of mind. If you've never understood Jesus, then there's nothing to repent of. Now, if you have understood the message of Jesus and you've rejected it, then you need to repent of that. But if you have never heard the message of Jesus Christ, you don't even need to repent because repenting only means a change of mind. I'm going down this path, and now I'm going to go down this path. Christ, I've denied him in the past, and now I want to accept him. Okay, But if you've never heard that Jesus came and died for your sins, there's really nothing to repent of. There's just receiving what he's done. And that means that he died for your sins. He took the punishment that you deserve upon himself. And God will forgive you by accepting that. And people don't, you know, so many people dismiss that. They say that you have to do something. You have to do something. And that's, it's a thing that's in us that we have to somehow merit God's favor. When in fact, you can't do anything to merit it. Because if you did do something, then that means that what Christ did wasn't enough. And that is impossible. What Christ did was fully sufficient to save all people. Okay, And so what you need to do is just remember that Christ died to take away the sin guilt that you bear. And if you receive that, God will take the wrath that he will pour out on you, and instead he has poured it out on his son. And in order to prove that, the most documented thing in all of human history of antiquity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have more evidence for that than any other occurrence of antiquity. He came out of the grave to prove that he had no sin of his own. What that means is that your sin went with him into the grave and it's gone. And he came out of the grave because he had no sin and that means that your sin is completely covered by his blood. It is gone, it is done forever. And you can never lose that. And I'd like to end with that thought right now is that a girl that I've known many years emailed me today and she says, my friend says that you can't lose your sin, your, your salvation. And uh, she said, what do you think about that? And I said, very logically, the nature of God says that you cannot lose your salvation. The reason why is because, first, in John 3.16, it is called a gift. If he gives you a gift and he takes it back, then that means it was never a gift in the first place. But the Bible again and again and again and again calls it a gift. The second thing is that Jesus Christ, or the Bible says that when you receive Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. If God sealed you with the Holy Spirit because you believed and then he takes it back, it means that God made a mistake and God can't make a mistake. And then thirdly, um, uh, it's called a guarantee. And if he takes it back, then that was not a guarantee. Okay, so logically, just from those three verses, and there are a million other arguments I could give you, but just from those three thoughts, we know that salvation is eternal. Another thing is if you have to do something after you're saved in order to stay saved, then that means it wasn't by grace anyway, because that's a work added on top of the grace. So logically, even that 
the fact that it's grace means that you cannot lose your salvation. So that's the second thing that I thought I'd ask you. And we got uh, about five more minutes. I need somebody with good hand. Do you have good handwriting? She is excellent. Okay, please come up here. I need you to write something for me. This is going to be a Greek. I got to stand up. Uh, yeah. Well, yes. I I I have got to stand up because um, if not, it won't go to the board. But if you have good handwriting, let me erase this. And I want you to I want you to write this down. You write it in English, but I hope so. Okay. Your handwriting's going to be and kind of stand off to the side when you write it. Okay. okay. No, on this side so that they this can side. see it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why? Not W. Why? No, no, no. The letter Y. Oh! Here. And use this. Here. Come here. Use this because that's that's obviously not working. Why? I thought you meant the word. No, no, no. Why? She's Okay. Nice handwriting. Okay. A. Capital or small? It doesn't matter. Okay. A. D. H. T. R. I. B, you're kind of going uphill. Keep it a little, smaller little straighter. Why? <laughs> P. P. A. H. What does that say? Oh, happy birthday! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, Miranda! Happy birthday to you. That was sneaky, brother. That was slick. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll have that in just a minute. We've got it. We've got to close in prayer. And uh, I'm sorry. You wrote it backwards. Happy birthday. Oh my God. Okay. So we'll close in prayer, and then we'll be done. Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, Tom, you got to pray loud, but pray loud enough for these people on uh, YouTube, and we'll be done. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you just to praise your mighty name. We praise you for who you are, and we praise you for all you do for us every day. Most of all, we praise you for sending your Son to die for us that we might live. You are so good to us, Lord. And I know we only covered one verse tonight, Lord, but there's just so much in that one verse. We could have, I'm sure Charlie could have gone on and on just in that verse. And we appreciate his efforts, Lord, all the hard work that he puts into it. And I just pray for a blessing upon him, Lord, and upon his uh, ministry here at this church. And we just, again, thank you for who you are and for all you do for us every day. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so real quickly, uh, let me uh, get the camera back. And uh, then everybody can, you can say goodbye to everybody. Hang on. What am I doing? Um, break? Okay, and then we'll all raise our hand. But while it's going back, let's say, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Linda. Happy birthday to you. Okay, say goodbye to everybody on YouTube. We love you, okay? All right, bye-bye.